Hi, welcome to Siegel and Gale Says, a podcast highlighting our brand consultants' points of view in audio format. I'm Daniel Alonso, a member of the marketing team at Siegel and Gale. Siegel and Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design, and experience firm. For the last 50 years, we have helped build the world's leading brands through strategies, stories, and experiences that are elegantly simple and unexpectedly fresh. When organizations have complex brand building questions, whether around mergers and acquisitions, strategic positioning, brand identity, experience, or growth, they turn to our experts. In this episode, Michelle Layden Lee, Chief Marketing Officer of Global Foundries, one of the world's leading semiconductor manufacturers, joins our president of the Pacific Rim, Jason Seaslack, and general manager, Katie Conway, to explore the lessons learned and the results experienced from rolling out the new GF brand a year ago. This is Siegel and Gale Says. Good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are, and welcome to Siegel and Gale's Future of Branding series, Unlocking Brand. I'm Jason Seaslack, and I'm the president of Siegel and Gale, and I look after our operations in Asia Pacific. Unlocking Brand is a virtual web series where we pair our clients and our global brand consultants together to discuss our global branding programs, to share actionable insights for all of the attendees to consider for their own organizations, and answer the key questions on the topics that really matter to brand marketers today. Today's topic is one we get asked about a lot from prospective clients and new clients alike, and that is what's the real tangible impact our organization can expect when we embark on a branding program, what will be different in a year and what kind of results will we see? This is oftentimes a tricky question because the drivers that necessitate a branding program aren't always the outcomes that are immediately achieved. And as somebody who's worked on hundreds of programs, I've seen this over and over again. Because once you start to dig into the work, you find all kinds of opportunities for improvement or change. Some things that are uncovered support the original rationale for the branding program in the first place. Others do not but could be hugely important. And the results that are often achieved by many of our clients in the early months and years post-launch can be surprising. Changes in culture, employee engagement and recruitment could be had, changes in marketplace standing and perceptions and customer preference can also be experienced. And yes, sometimes increases in sales and customer retention. But to predict at the outset of a program, what will be the combination of those things is really difficult. So that's why we have invited Michelle Layden Lee, the Chief Marketing Officer of Global Foundries. Michelle represents Global Foundries, and Global Foundries is one of the world's leading semiconductor manufacturers and the only one with a truly global footprint. Michelle led an internal team at Global Foundries who partnered with Siegel & Gale starting in 2020 to help rethink the Global Foundries brand in advance of its IPO. But what's really interesting about the Global Foundries story was the business decision they they decided to make a couple years prior to that, which was a significant business pivot, one that caught many in the industry analysts and people in the industry by surprise. So they needed a brand story to reflect that pivot and to develop a new message to the industry that why all of this made sense. Michelle is also being joined by my colleague, Katie Conway, who is Siegel & Gale's West Coast General Manager and Senior Strategy Director. Katie led the Siegel and Gale team that partnered with Michelle and the Global Foundries team. And the two of them are going to hear today to talk about the impact of brand one year in. This topic in our featured work is timely today because for those of you who have been watching the news, the manufacturing of semiconductors in the U.S. has become a heated topic 
occupying Congress as of late and many Western countries as they grapple with the future of domestic innovation. The political sensitivities that come with technology ownership and trade secrets is um, no surprise. And keeping one of the world's most strategically important industries firmly in the U.S. is important. That led to the recent passing of the Chips and Science Act by the U.S. Senate. So I'm excited for all of you to hear from Michelle and Katie. Before we begin, I'd like to invite you to get familiar with the chat box, which is at your bottom right-hand corner. We're going to ask you um, to submit some questions along the way. We're going to set up some time to do a Q&A. The first question I'd like to ask all of our attendees is if you could take us take a moment and let us know where you're joining us from and maybe what the biggest investment you've made in brand over the last three years. It's always an interesting context to frame some of the questions. And as I mentioned, as we go along, I'm going to invite you to submit questions. We're going to do a Q&A at the end with Michelle and Katie for to dig in deeper on some of the issues that you may be interested in. But before I turn things over, I'm going to share a little bit about who Siegel and Gale is to give you some context to what you'll hear today from Katie and Michelle. Siegel and Gale is a simplicity company. We believe that brands that are simple and clear are brands that stand out and grow. When we talk about simplicity, it isn't about minimalism or stark design. It's about the value that simplicity can bring to your organization and its brand. The clarity of your purpose and your brand story is one of those things. The clarity of your portfolio and value proposition to the outside world is another. And obviously, the clarity of your brand identity, whether that be your name, your look and feel, or your key communications and experiences. We're headquartered in New York, and we have offices around the world. And finally, it's important to understand a little bit about our culture, because it's one of the things that we take great pride in. And I think it's one of the things that made our partnership with Global Foundry so great. We, too, are a values-driven company, and it's something we care a lot about. We talk a lot about being smart, nice, unstoppable, and inclusive. But it's that particular emphasis on the value of nice, which I think is one of the things we treasure here at Siegel & Gale. At the end of the day, we are a full-service branding firm with a complete suite of services to help our clients navigate a variety of branding and business challenges. Ultimately, the work we do shapes the brand experiences that employees feel inside the organization and customers and partners experience on the out. So that is really kind of the lens of which how we see the work that we do. And lastly, when you've been around for more than 52 years, you work across a lot of different industries and help create or shape some of the world's largest and most well-known brands from strategy and design to activation. And we're proud to have helped some of the organizations you see here, including our good friends at Global Foundries. So with that context of Siegel and Gale, I'm going to turn things over now to my colleague, Katie Conway. Katie, do you want to take it away? That I do. Thank you, Jason. So I'm going to start by Michelle asking you a few questions to kind of frame the context of Global Foundries and, you know, really what led to the, the need for, for a rebrand. So can you speak a little bit about the journey of Global Foundries as a company? Yeah, of course. So the company's been around now almost 12 years, and um, we have had a journey. And back in 2018, we were really on this amazing path to transform the company. And I really give so much credit to our CEO and our executive team for really having a vision for where this industry was going to go from a semiconductor manufacturing standpoint. I mean, we all know, of course, now it's very visible that chips are everywhere inside almost anything that you pick up these days from your appliances to thermostats to smartphones to automobiles, right? Industrial equipment, semiconductor chips are at the, the core of everything that people do. And so what we saw in that in 2018 was this vision for sort of where the industry was going, especially as we got into this 
kind of expansion of the underpinning of, of where semiconductors were being. And so we started to transform the company with that idea in mind. And in the course of the time over 2018 through 2020, when we started talking, we really made significant progress in transforming the company to a company that really our customers could rely on to deliver the type of innovation and feature-rich process technologies that chip designers required for this new generation of semiconductors. So in 2020, in looking at that, what we realized was we had made this amazing transformation, and yet our brand still reflected the old company, right? The old global foundries. The brand was beloved. We loved it internally. It had done us you know, a great, a great job for us over the first 10 years or so of our life, but we really, really needed, we needed to get to the next level. And we had already made that transformation, but our brand didn't reflect the new company that we had become. So we started talking at that point about looking at that and saying, we really need to hone in on the brand. And I know when people think of brand, they right away, they think of look and feel, which is absolutely a part of the brand. We wanted to do the really hard work in terms of also positioning and the brand platform. We knew we had this new story. We just hadn't clearly articulated it internally so that we could tell it systematically and very succinctly and clearly to the rest of the world. And so that was a big part of the work as well as the visual identity of the brand. Yep. And, you know, rebranding is no small investment as, as we all know. And we often, you know, are working with clients who have to do a little bit of work to get their executive team and their board to understand the value of investing in brand. Can you talk to us a little bit about how, you know, what your journey was in helping your your executive team see the value of this change? Well, I, I can tell you that right away, I had the dream CEO. So Tom Caulfield is our CEO, and he understood it right away. I think within the first couple of conversations that I had with him, he really understood it. And he wanted to learn and he wanted to take the journey. And so he was the biggest advocate internally. So it's always wonderful when your CEO is your biggest advocate. And then we we brought the rest of the executive team and eventually our board of directors into the conversation along the conversation. But I think one of the key learnings for me, and it's, it's actually been a key learning in my career uh, over the last, I won't even say how many years. And one of the things I love, by the way, about Global Foundries and our culture is this idea of collaboration and make, bringing people in and making them part of the journey and part of the solution. And that's really what we did. And it was important. And it wasn't just an internal bring people in. As you know, you did a lot of research for us. We went out to our customers, to our partners, to other people around the industry. And we really brought people in on this journey to understand you know, really how we should be telling our new story, and then how we really should look at brand and how people would react to that across internally and externally across our customers and our partners. So it was a very collaborative effort. And I think at times we may have frustrated the Siegel and Gale team a little bit because it was so collaborative and iterative, but it was very important for us because the result that we got as a result of that collaboration was by the time we did get to the new brand and we were ready to launch, we had such an embrace, not only by our own employees, which is very important because your employees are your brand champions. And you know we're 15,000 strong, so it's important to have all of those folks be brand champions, but also with our customers and our partners and the greater industry. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, and we're gonna dig into a lot of those, those topics, which I think are all rich areas for, for discussion. 
Um, and, you know, if we we kind of go back to, to the beginning and think about where the brand was in 2020 when we started partnering together, you know, what, what we saw really was um, a brand that leaned heavily into technology, as well as being a, a global company, given that you are the only manufacturing um, company in semiconductor with that global footprint. Um, we did really appreciate the orange that you guys kind of had and owned as it really stood out in the the sea of blue that we find in technology. But, you know, aside from that kind of distinct element of the brand, to your point, this distinct story, the the pivot you had made, that story wasn't clearly coming through. And so, you know, when we came together, we kind of defined these goals of making sure that we created a brand that reflected this new business strategy that demonstrated how vital Global Foundries is to your customers, but also to humanity. As you mentioned, chips are the underpinning of our daily lives from, you know, the the watch I have uh, on my wrist to the car I drive to work every day. And, you know, a big part and what our team found really inspiring about this rebrand was we wanted to use this as an opportunity to redefine what innovation means in the semiconductor space and really position Global Foundries as the leader in this new way to innovate. And so, you know, we we developed an approach and went through a process together that really started with grounding everything in research. We spoke to your executives, we spoke to your customers um, to really understand what it is that um, they were looking for in a manufacturing partner and what made Global Foundries special. Using all of that great insight and, and research, we then developed that clear brand narrative that served as a foundation for the expression of the brand that then informed the visual identity, the messaging, and made sure that everything was really grounded in that strategic idea for that cohesion, that um, consistency in message. And then we did work together to, to partner to think strategically about how to launch this new brand to create impact in the market while also creating excitement and connecting with your people about the, the new future of the company. And you started talking about this a little bit in terms of you know, what worked well about this process, really bringing people in to the journey. Anything else you want to call out about uh, you know, what worked well about this process for your team? Yeah, I think one of the key pieces of the process was getting our employees to embrace the new brand. That was just critical because we did have a beloved brand and we're very careful in, we stayed very respectful to the outgoing look and feel in the brand. And I think that really helped people understand. And we did a lot of training internally with our employees to for them to understand why we were rebranding, what the purpose was, why we were doing it at the time we were doing it. We did an entire training across the global organization. Mm -hmm. And we did it over the course of about a month or two where we were doing internal communications regularly to step them through what is a brand? Why is it important? Why are we rebranding? What does that mean? And we spent a lot of time and, and energy on that because we felt it was really, really critical to get all of our employees behind the brand before we actually launched it externally so that employees were ready to support and drive the brand with us. And that was, I think, a critical decision that actually helped us make the brand successful. Yeah, that's great. I also love how you mentioned the importance of communicating the why 
to employees as part of that that training and setting that context, I think, can be really, really helpful. You know, I want to share a little bit about what we found in that immersion process that led us then to that, that brand strategy for the new Global Foundries brand. And there were four things that, that really stood out to us. One was um, this opportunity to elevate the versatility of Global Foundries approach. We heard a lot about the collaboration that you bring to your partners, to your customers, and this being very different than some of your competitors where it's a little bit our way or, or the highway. So we saw this as an opportunity to really elevate this as a differentiating factor. We, of course, wanted to carry forward that global footprint that can continue to instill confidence during this time of transition, especially given how hot of a topic it was and, and continues to be. And then there was a couple other elements of the culture that really stood out to us, this people-first thinking. I know in our conversations with um, Tom, your, your CEO, he you know immediately talked about the impact that the work Global Foundries has on the everyday consumer. And that was so core to his mind. And then how that bled into the way you partner with your customers and in each other, really having that people-first mindset and then that entrepreneurial spirit, bringing that to the forefront and really kind of owning this challenger mentality that, that you had that started with this business pivot, right? That took you in a direction where many initially thought like, why give up on uh, scaling? Why leave the two nanometer space where all the sexy innovation happens? But you guys saw an opportunity to really redefine where sexy innovation happens um, in you know these, these other areas. And so we really kind of capitalized on that opportunity and developed a positioning that was all about global foundries driving a new era of more. And I would love to, to pause here and hear a little bit about what this uh, you know, brand strategy means to you, Michelle. Yeah, it, it's great. And we, we love this line. And the reason is really, as I talked about, one of the, the amazing things I think about our executive team was being able to sort of see that vision back in 2018 and where things were headed. You know, it's a very interesting industry. Um, we've been around for a long, long time. And it used to be all really all about, you know, speed. Because quite frankly, most of the, the ICs were, were CPUs or GPUs, and it was all about speed. That's changed. And that really changed within the mobile phone experience in 2010 and moving forward, where suddenly, as I said, everything now has semiconductors in it from my, you know, toaster to my, you know, appliances in my kitchen to your car to, you know, industrial robotics, right? And those types of semiconductors are very different. They need different types of features. They're not just about speeds and feeds, as we used to say in the old days. And so the type of innovation that's required to manufacture those semiconductors is very different. It's not just about scaling. In fact, in, in the analog world, scaling doesn't really matter. So we saw that and we were already doing that, quite frankly. We were already investing for very feature-rich sets around very specific applications, for example, like RF, where we had leadership and have had leadership for many years. And so what was hard was the catch-up to how people thought about semiconductor, because for many, many years, scaling was seen as the only way to innovate. And what we wanted to say and keep saying to people was, well, actually, no, there's, there's a different way of innovating in semiconductor manufacturing. And that's actually core tenant of our brand platform is actually talking about this idea of redefining innovation in semiconductor. 
But that's only one piece. More actually talks about other things, more about the fact that we have a global footprint, which is really critical in the industry for supply chain consistency and security. We partner with our customers, we collaborate, we work hand in hand with them. And we have a full partner ecosystem that we also work hand in hand with and collaborate across our customers. And, you know, last but certainly not least, we have an incredibly diverse and inclusive global workforce that actually helps us with the innovation required to deliver these kinds of new innovative process technologies to our customers. So that was really, really important. And that's all we saw that all being inclusive in this idea of delivering a new era of more. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this line is the the double meaning behind more. So for industry insiders, right, we're saying more's law doesn't matter anymore, right? There is a new way to innovate, but then more also meaning in plain language, if, if you don't even understand what more's law is, all of the, the kind of the what you were describing in terms of the global footprint and the employees. So I think that's that's really great. I'm going to share a little bit about, you know, where we went with this this strategy as the foundation. I'll talk about the intent behind the design of the new brand and then Michelle ask you a couple questions about the the visual identity. So, you know, we designed a, a mark that really acts as a compact monogram. And this was really meant to capture the concept of fabricating efficient and simple semiconductor solutions. And we also were really inspired by this um, idea of the colon symbol, which is about allowing global foundries to connect things, technology to impact, right? Um, the, the, the manufacturing to what it enables for, for humans and the outcome that it enables. And when we look then at uh, kind of some of the photography that we started to, to bring in, we really wanted to elevate people to, you know, really speak back to that opportunity of having your people first approach and stand out in a space that's lacking this warmth um, and humanity, technology and, and semiconductor manufacturing. And then the last thing to call out as you start to see here is the color palette that, that we defined, which really builds on the equity that GF had built in the orange and continues to buck convention with a warm and light uh, color palette that, again, stands out against competitors in this very blue sea of sameness. We also really like this, this yellow that reflects your bold personality and bring some optimism and, and warmth to kind of to, to the table. Um, so Michelle, when you kind of look at the visual identity, how all these components come together, how do you see it reflecting the, the brand strategy, driving a new era of more? Hey, it's a great question. So first of all, we love our, our monogram. We love it. Um, and the wonderful thing about the monogram, and you know, I, I give full credit to, to Siegel and Gail and uh, your creative team, you brought us several options and we went, we iterated through a lot of things, but we landed on the monogram for, for a couple of reasons. One, we believe it encapsulates really our brand platform. If you look at it and who we are, if you look at the rounding of the G, right, you can see a half wafer, right? Or a half circle. The fact that the G and the F share this, this middle component, we collaborate, right? We, we work together, we partner, we share. And our colons, very nicely are two squares. It looks like a chip. And we just we just love the fact that really that encapsulates who we are and really helps to communicate uh, GF and our, our brand platform. The colors we love because the colors are very uh, warm. 
but at the same time, they're very optimistic and happy colors. And we love that because, again, the warmth goes back to collaborating, building strong relationships with our customers and partners in the industry. We are really optimistic. We're glass half full. We like to see all of the opportunities and you know share the opportunities across the ecosystem. So we really felt the color palette reflected very much who we are. At the same time, it's extremely bold color palette. We have purples, we have yellows, right? We have orange. And so that boldness is also a reflect, reflection of, of who Global Foundries is. We love the fact that we steered away a little bit from industry norms of being super techie. We, we are a technology company that is in our blood. We are there. But we also are about people and humanity and the fact that semiconductors are vital to our society globally we really felt that reflective in the new visual imagery. So we wanted to bring that humanity piece in, and I think we've done that quite well. And then we've we've also kept this global idea because we are a global company, we have a global footprint, and that was really important to keep in our visuals. Yeah. So I remember when we started sharing this with some of the executive team and, and the board, and they actually saw what what change looked like. Right, you mentioned it being a beloved brand, and I think there arose some hesitation and fear of loss of you know who Global Foundries was. What did you find most helpful for overcoming that that hesitation that that we encountered? Well, I think it was actually explaining what I just explained, right? Talking through how we got here with the visual identity based on the brand platform that we had worked together on. Right. So this idea we had collaborated already across internally with our board, with our executive team. They had worked as hard as any of us on building the brand platform. And then we wanted to show that we needed a visual identity system that really reflected that platform and to show that the, the visual identity system we had, a previous visual identity, really didn't do that. And it, it had started to age. Right. And we really wanted we, we felt we were this bold new company with our transformation, we needed our visual identity to reflect that. And so that was a lot of conversations around what does that mean and how do we get there? To be very honest, I think um, some of it was a leap of faith. I really am very thankful to Tom and our executive management team for having faith in me and my team and Siegel and Gail, because it was a little bit of a leap of faith and the board, by the way, our board of directors. Um, but I can tell you that when we did our IPO, we were standing in Times Square looking up at uh, the Times Square takeover and all of our imagery and our brand. You know, I had several folks, including several of our board of directors, come over and say, you know, good job. You were right. This is it. And this looks great. So I, we got people there. Uh, but there was a little bit of a leap of faith involved. Let's talk a little bit about the launch and rollout activities um, that, that you uh, used in activation. How did you determine where to invest for the launch and rollout? Yeah, it goes back to a previous comment. I think we we made a decision early on, and part of it is just who we are in our heritage to really invest in our employees yeah. and making them brand champions. That was a critical part of the rollout, as I said, and I think it really is what made it successful. And in fact, for our brand anniversary, which, as you know, just passed our one year anniversary of our launch, we actually did are doing a, a contest internally 
asking folks to, to submit their favorite use of the brand, both internally and externally, as we've given it out to employees to start to use. So, and you can see the excitement. We've gotten some great entries, right? So the employees continue to be excited and energized by the new brand. And I think that was critical. The next step in that though, was then how we roll that brand out publicly and how we invested in that public launch. And as you know, we did it at an event we held up at our Fab uh, 8 facility in Malta, New York. So we did a lot of work around how we would launch and put the brand out there in, in coordination with one of the events that we did. So that was that was a big investment. And then, of course, our visual identity changed. So every place we were in the world, we had to update and refresh our logo, right? And take down our globe and put up our new logo. And so that was a lot of the investment. And, you know, anyone who's done this at a corporate brand level who has facilities around the world know that that is a huge undertaking and making sure that was all done in time for the launch, but keeping it quiet so we could do a big, you know, reveal, if you will, to the world. So a lot of a lot of time and investment, but that's really the priority that we we took uh, with the brand rollout. That's great. You know, as you reflect back on on the last year, I know you mentioned investing in employees was one of the keys to success. Any other lessons learned? If you were kind of talking to a CMO who was in the midst of of planning, what advice would you give? Well, I can't like listen. I can't discount customers and partners, right? We we brought them in the fold very early on. You know, as you know, you did research with them. That was also critical, and we wanted our customers and our partners to feel good about our brand, to be able to embrace it, and quite frankly, to partner with it uh, with us. And we've had you know great success there because I think because we bought, brought them in early, we asked for their help, we asked for their feedback. And again, this is all about collaboration and partnership. This is this goes to the core of who we are. And we lived it through this brand, you know, refresh, this rebranding. We actually lived our brand platform uh, and we did it with with respect to our to our own identity. So I think that was really critical. And we continue to see our customers aren't and our partners embrace our brand. We just did our GTS event, our North America event, GTS stands for Global Foundries Technology Summit. Uh, we do them around the world. We did our North America event in May, and we had our partners with us with our branding, co-branding uh, with our partners' brands across the event. So again, this embrace uh, by our customers and our partners of our brand. And then the the last thing I want to ask here is, um, you know, I know through kind of the the rollout process, there was this continuing conversation about the the Chips Act, which has now culminated in a successful passage of that. Um, you were very active in that conversation and your leadership um, was a big part of that. Of course, there was the the IPO about three months after you launched the brand. Uh, you know, how did this new brand position you for success in those contexts? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the, as I said, before we did the rebrand, I think we thought we knew our story and we thought we had been telling it. But it's this idea of really making sure we're crystallizing the story and telling it very succinctly and the same, the same time. And the uh, the example I, I used to give with my executives is it's like telling your kids to pick up their socks on the on the living room floor. They only hear you the eighth time you say it. So you can't one time say, well, pick up your you know, toy, right? You got to keep saying, pick up your sock, right? You got to be consistent with the story. And then by the eighth time you say it the same exact way, they'll hear it. It's very similar to, you know, your brand platform. You have to be really clear about who you are 
and what your story is and be able to tell it really succinctly. So we felt we'd been telling our story from 2018 to 2020, and we have been, but maybe not as precisely as we started to. In fact, it wasn't as precisely as we started to when we had the brand platform really well understood across the organization. And then you could see the, the amount of pickup we had. And in fact, you know, our, our metrics are for 2021 are off the chart. I mean, our share of voice across the board was phenomenal. In Q3 and Q4, our share of voice went up significantly. We got pickup across our channels in terms of feature rich, which is a key uh, part of our innovation story. So, you know, if, if I look at our metrics for 2021, they just it blew us away. And again, it was just this consistency in the messaging that was really super critical. So that was a big part of why we did this. Everybody always loves to point to look and feel and, and what the brand looks like. But telling our story so crisply was really critical. And quite frankly, with that telling of our story, we became the leader in really talking about this idea of public-private partnership, which is what led mm -hmm. up to the CHIP Act, right? We were able to go out and, and be a thought leader around that, around that dialogue, but knowing exactly what we stood for and being able to articulate that clearly to our industry. Right. Another example of the collaboration at the heart of, of the brand, right? And the story. So that's great. You know, you started mentioning some of the results that, that you saw as, as a success of, of this um, increase in share of voice. We know there was um, a lot of engagement with the brand and digital channels after this. And and of course, with that that IPO, it was the largest semiconductor IPO in history. You know, these are just a, a few of the results of these or, or, or others. What results after this first year are you most proud of? Well, it's, it's sort of hard as, a, as a, a CMO not to be proud of standing in Times Square and seeing your brand up on the big screens during an IPO. I mean, that was pretty, yeah. that was pretty awesome. But I think, you know, beyond that kind of pageantry, if you will, it's really the results speak for themselves. It's the embrace by our customers and it, it's the business, right? It's being able to show that we are moving forward as a company. We have, you know, wonderful customers and partners who are with us all the way and we're making an impact. We're making an impact not just in our industry, we're working, making an impact across the industry in terms of some of these ideas around thought leadership or things like public-private partnership. We're having an impact on humanity just by bringing new innovative you know, semiconductors to market that help people, right? That help us all work better, live better, uh, play better, and forward humanity. So I think uh, all of that is part of being able to be successful in this process. Yeah. And as you look toward, you know, the next year, what do you hope uh, to have accomplished? Well, I think it's, it's you know, I like to tell my team, the, the launch of the brand was the first foot over the starting line, right? It's, it's, it's definitely a marathon and not a sprint. So it's really building the brand now over time. And, and anyone who's done this knows, right? It's one thing to launch it. Then you've got to actually fill the brand bucket. You've got to, you've got to build it, right? And then you've got to sustain it over time. And what that means is living up to our brand promise every second of every day, right? Being able to know that our customers, when they work with us, are going to have a delightful experience. We're going to, we're going to please them at every step of their brand journey and their customer journey with us. We are going to be true partners to our partner ecosystem, right? And we are going to continue to be at the front of leading the industry forward. 
And that's just not the sexy stuff. That's the stuff coming in every day and working really hard and doing what we have to do to be excellent for our customers and for our partners and for the industry and for the greater greater humanity. So it's not anything other than more of the same. We're going to continue to do what we do at the highest level of excellence and build that brand over time. Fantastic. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your experience, the the lessons learned. We had so much fun partnering with you and your team on this and have just been so inspired by what you've done over the past 12 months with, with this brand. And so I think what we can do now is go ahead and turn over to Jason, who I think has a, a couple other questions, as well as hearing from any questions that we have in the audience. Absolutely. Thank you both, Michelle and Katie. That was lovely. Some great discussions. And I know when Katie said our team enjoyed working with your team, that is absolutely true. Now, I know that there were some questions that were submitted through the uh, Q&A, but I wanted to start with one just because you sort of get a sense of, you know, you talked about you you had a good sense of your story going into um, all of this. But how have people responded to the positioning and brand, not not just inside, but also sort of outside? Does the message and the story really seem to connect with people and make sense? It, it does. It does. And I think it, it, it's a testament to all the good work up front in, in the research. I think each piece of our brand platform, as I said, there's really four key pieces. This idea of, excuse me, redefining innovation in semiconductor manufacturing. We were already doing that, right? It was just making sure that that was visible to people. Our global manufacturing footprint, it was already there, right? Again, just making sure that people understood why that was important. Collaboration partnership, we've always done that. Again, it was just doubling down on the same. And then this idea of really elevating the fact that we have a global, uh, diverse, diverse, inclusive employee base around the world. That is really the reason all of, you know, all of our employees are the reason we're here and we're doing such great work. So I, it has resonated and uh, it continues to. Great, great. So I know uh, one of the attendees had a, one of the submitted questions. This one's from Michelle. It's from uh, Dominic. And Dominic is asking about, you know, in an area of data, can you help us, you know, in an era of data, sorry, can you help us understand the data points that you decided on which were an effective indication of your long-term brand success? I know you're only a year out, but yeah. like, what were some of those sort of data points that you're really keeping an eye on over the years to come to know that you're sort of on the right path? Yeah, that's a great point. So we started with the data that I, I shared a little earlier, which is we we wanted to measure share of voice. That was really critical to us, right? Uh, you, you think about sort of the funnel and awareness, right? Awareness is one thing in our industry, and, and there are very few semiconductor manufacturers. So uh, most people who know them know who they are. But we wanted to expand awareness beyond that, beyond that set of folks. So that's first. And then consideration is the next step, right? And why would why would we be considered to, to partner with a customer, right? And we wanted to make sure that customers understood the differentiation and the value that we brought. So those are two things we absolutely are keeping an eye on. Starts with share of voice. But as I said, then we're also looking at pickup of our brand platform across our channels. Do people understand who we are and what we stand for? You know, the redefining semiconductor manufacturing uh, innovation, that's a critical piece. Our feature-rich story, our differentiation, we actually measure that. We measure as people talk, as we see response, what what are people saying? Are they picking up on that feature-rich differentiation? So those are some of the things. Really, at the end of the day, it's about looking at your brand and your brand platform 
once the brand, brand platform is defined, those should be your key indicators. Is the brand out there and understandable? And measuring each one of those. And that's really what we do. We measure those four pieces of our platform in Great. different ways to make sure that that story is understood. Great. Great. I said at the outset that a lot of clients will ask us, so we engage and we work together on developing a brand and what will be different sort of in year one or year two, right? And and it's a legitimate question because I think people want to make sure that they're being accountable to the investment they're making in brand. But oftentimes, some of the triggers of a branding program aren't necessarily some of the immediate outcomes that our clients see. And I'm wondering, Michelle, were there some things that you didn't expect that sort of came from the branding effort that maybe were sort of like happy surprises or sort of things that maybe you didn't anticipate that that you saw? I think the happy surprise for me and I, I think for our executives was how quickly people, especially our customers and others in the industry, understood the story once it was really well defined and they picked it up and started to use it. So that was, you know, of course, that's what you hope happens, right? Hopefully that's a that result that shows that you did good work. But how quickly we started to get pickup on that was really surprising to me. I thought it would take a little bit longer. And it did prove to me that we had been telling the story, maybe not quite as exactly as we should have been. Mm. But I think the key learning for me in this process was, you know, there's always this, with rebranding in particular, there's always this debate. When should you rebrand? Should you rebrand when you start a new journey, right? When we began our transformation effort, should we have rebranded at that point? Or do we wait until we've gotten through that transformation and we've started to see results and we rebrand. We did the latter. And I actually think that is the right answer, right? A lot of, I've seen a lot of companies kind of say, hey, we're going to go in this direction and here's the new brand. And, you know, it's it, it's an interesting choice because now you put a brand out there that doesn't have context yet, right? You haven't yeah. shown any results. We were in a situation, and this is really how the first couple of conversations that I had with Tom and our executive team was, we're in the perfect position. We've already made the pivot. We've transformed. We have the results. We are showing them. Now we back that up with this new brand, right, to show that we are a new company. And I think that was really a critical point and a critical decision in this process. And, you know, I would just, you know, say to anyone who's looking at a rebrand, where are you in that journey? Mm. And before you invest, make sure you're at the point in the journey where you really can show you have results that you can start to fill that new brand with. Yeah, the story was definitely very credible because you were already on that journey. So it was that makes a lot of sense. We do have another question for Michelle, and this is from uh, one of the participants, uh, Tina. You mentioned, Michelle, about some of the initial training that you offered for all of your employees. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about that, like how you rolled it out, which groups maybe you targeted, and was it cascaded out? Yeah, it actually wasn't cascaded out. We rolled it out to all of our employees. We we did a little pre-briefing with some of our executives, so the executive team was was well aware. But we did roll it out fairly widely, uh, kind of all, all in. And we did so we had some fun with it. Actually, we did something called internally called brand news, 
over the course of a month where we were doing these kind of interactive videos about what a brand was and actually starting from scratch. We did um, this fun thing with our executives where we we had them each do a video and telling about their favorite brand and why they loved the brand. And mine happened to be the Toyota 4Runner because I have 4Runners and I love them, right? So I did a little video on the beach at uh, the Outer Banks where I can actually four-wheel drive uh, with my four, Toyota 4Runner saying, this is what I think of Toyota 4Runner for the brand, right? This is why I love the brand. And we yeah. got people involved in talking about all their different favorite brands and why they loved them so they could understand what brand value they as a consumer actually poured into the brands that they loved and why that was important. And that was the first step of sort of educating them about brand. And then we went from there, right? And we stepped them through what is a brand? Why is it important? What is a, you know, what is a brand platform? What does a brand stand for? What is a brand identity, a look and feel? Why is that important? How does that attach to a brand platform? So we really stepped them through the whole process before we actually got to our brand. We wanted them to understand what brand was and why it was important. And even in our case, a B2B brand is important. It's important to us. It's important to our customers. It's important to the industry. So uh, we took a lot of, we had a lot of fun in the process, but we did take our time, as I said, through about a month, month and a half of really doing that education before we actually rolled out our new brand to Smart. our employees. Very smart. Now, were there other groups within GF that you engaged with to help sort of bring some of the activation and sort of the the sort of brand to life inside the organization? Yeah, of course. Of course. My partner in crime was Lori Kelly, who is our chief communications officer, and her team actually owns employee communications. So we we partnered with with Lori very, very closely and her team in all of this. But quite frankly, this was a I'd like to say this was a participation sport. We alone did not do this, my team. We, we partnered with communications. We partnered across the organization with our sales team, with our fab teams, on the ground at our, our facilities, with our facilities teams, because we had, we had to take down the old signs and put up the new signs, right? We had to put stuff all around, you know, the interiors of, of our facilities with the new brand. We had to rebrand everything, right? So this was a huge, uh, we had to make sure we our brand was protectable. So we partnered with our legal group. So this was a huge effort across multiple, multiple uh, parts of the organization. And I, you know, I'm proud to say that we we won a CEO award for it. The team was just did an outstanding job in, in the rollout, but it was, it was not a one team effort. It was not just the brand and marketing team. It was a corporate wide effort. Great, great. great. So maybe this question is uh, best for Katie and Michelle, which is, I'm curious if you guys could talk about some of the challenges that arose sort of along the way, right? We're, we're sort of presenting these things and we have all of these beautiful memories and all of these great successes, but oftentimes there's a little bit of elbow, elbow grease and obstacles that have to be overcome as part of that process. Do you guys want to talk about maybe what some of those challenges were and maybe how those were resolved to get you the outcomes that you're experiencing today? Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about the visual look and feel because I think that was one of the biggest opt- obstacles we had. Um, everybody was brought, bought into the brand pa- platform and and you know what we stood for, but it was actually getting a look and feel approved, and that was emotional for people. Right? They were very invested in what we used to call our ladybug, our globe, and there were people who were at the company a long time who actually had been part of that brand and putting that brand in place. And so getting those folks ready to let go of something that was very dear to them and move on to something else was a journey. And so I spent a lot of time with people one-on-one 
kind of, they were sort of brand therapy sessions, right? <laughs> Talking to people about what the brand meant, what the old, old brand meant to them, why it was so important, why it had gotten us where we were very and did a very good job for us. And now it was time to pay homage to that, but to let it go and to move on. And we, we did a lot of work. And that was probably the hardest part of, of this entire process mm. was helping people let go of what was and move on to what what needed to be. Right. Yeah. And I, I think um, part of the work that our team did was also, you know, in, in some of those initial conversations, that hesitation, there was an ask of, well, did you explore everything? Um, is it, could it only be these? Um, and we did a lot of exploration. Um, and, and, you know, there were some asks around, well, can you bring more of the globe in, right? This was a, an element that, that many people felt attached to. And so I, I think we found a nice balance between, you know, always doing that exploration and part of that helping the executive team see that no, actually where, where we were was what it, it is right. And then in some cases, we were able to find a nice compromise. Michelle mentioned the the globe is a key element in terms of the visuals and I think part of some illustration styles. So we we ended up bringing forward a little bit more some of those legacy elements. And I also think Michelle spoke really nicely about this, those conversations that she was having, not only about why we need to change, but about how this new identity still reflects who we are and our DNA and our unique um, approach and, and helping them see that I think also was, um, was really great. Yeah. Right. In fact, I'll just comment. If you see what's behind me, my, my, uh, my virtual background, we did one of these for every place that we are in the world. So that when you're on a, a call with anyone from uh, global foundries internally or externally, they will have their background on. You can see the global nature of the company, right? So we wanted to make sure we were always sort of uh, paying homage to that part of us. And we did that through things like our backgrounds, our imagery, and so forth. So we didn't lose that global idea in the imagery. We just got rid of the globe part of the logo, right? So, But we, we wanted to make sure that we really didn't lose that part of our identity. And I think working with Siegel and Gail, we really... Uh, you guys just did a beautiful job in helping us show how we could retain that through imagery that it didn't necessarily need to be part of the logo. Yeah. One question that was submitted by uh, one of the, the the attendees, and I know, Michelle, you know, our, we worked with you during sort of like a window, if you will, of this journey. But can you talk a little bit about sort of like what was the whole journey as far as the preparation to sort of engage a firm like ours, obviously our window of working together with you, and then sort of the rollout work. Like, can you talk a little bit more about those steps in the preparation that you went through on that journey? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's interesting. So, yes, we started working with you. Actually, I think we started to sort of interview different different firms, uh, I think it was in July, August of 2020. Uh, but I started this conversation with uh, with Tom and our executive team Back in March of 2020, we'd started a little bit before then, but in earnest around March, and we were trying to figure out what we did, uh, what we would do, like how we would approach it. And, uh, you know, I had, I, you know, I knew that the right answer was bringing in someone like Siegel and Gale, that we really needed a partner in this. Uh, but, you know, there was, I knew that the company had never done that before. So there was going to be some trepidation in going in that direction. And so I had some other options that I kept throwing out. 
And I remember very distinctly being in a, a, a meeting, a one-on-one with Tom, and I was saying, well, we could do this, we could do this. we could." And he finally just said, Michelle, tell me what the, the answer is. Like, tell me what we should do, what we have to do. Don't give me all that. What do, you, what do we need to do? And I said, well, Tom, we need to bring an agency in. And he said, okay, go. So it was one of those where, you know, it was, Katie knows our culture, right? You try to always give options. Well, we could do this. We could do this. These are some of the options that we we could do. But I I just so... I am so appreciative of Tom uh, because really without him, I don't think we would have gotten here to just along the journey saying, you know what, this is the right thing we're going to do. We're going to do it this way. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what the team is recommending. We're going to do it. So really having faith in, in us and in the process to get there. So that was what we did up front. And then sort of after, I wouldn't say after we launched, but as we were launching, we, we started to go out and really do what, good marketers do, right? What is an integrated approach to getting this brand rolled out and then building it and having to put all the pieces together of an integrated campaign. So that means, you know, brand video and and all of the assets that we needed to build in and around the brand, you know, the event that we did, how we did a long-term plan for all of our channels, gf.com. By the way, we we had to go to gf.com. We were globalfoundries.com. So we changed our URL and that was, you know, a big reveal. How do we how do we do that across all of our our social channels, right? So any any digital channels that we had, how did we infuse that through our press and media uh, plan, uh, our speakership plan, our thought leadership plans, right? So it it was really building this this incredibly complex integrated marketing campaign rollout of the brand. Yeah. So maybe our last question, because I know we're coming up against the hour here. Michelle, what advice would you give to one of your peer CMOs who might be embarking on a similar journey? Like what is the sort of the battle scars or sort of the learnings that you might share to help them be better equipped to be successful? I think first and foremost is to get the buy-in of your executive management team. I think this is critical. And if you're lucky enough to be a CMO that's at, you know, has a seat at the table at the executive team, use it. Right. Um, and, you know, you all know your own culture. I can tell you the culture at, at Global is very much relationships. And so just building the relationships with that executive management team, building the trust with them. If you already have the trust with them, great. That will go a long way. And then really being able to use that to influence direction uh, towards a rebranding, if that's what you think should be done. And, and just have your data, like show why. Know why is the right time to do it and and tell that story. And don't, but don't be afraid to hear input. You know, one of the things that I remember and Katie was in some of the meetings with me is you you have to be willing to get the feedback. If you ask for feedback, make sure you're willing to take it. So don't ask for feedback and sort of give it, you know, airtime and then say, okay, well, I'm just going to do this anyway. Make sure that you're incorporating the feedback. And if you don't incorporate it, there's a why for you don't, why you're not incorporating it and being able to articulate that clearly and being able to educate people about the journey and what, what you are inputting and what you're not. That's really, really critical. But I think first and foremost, your CEO is your biggest advocate. Make sure your CEO is on board and your executive management team is part of the process. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely very well said and a lovely comment and feedback to close upon. On behalf of the team here at Siegel and Gale, I want to say thank you, Michelle, for joining us today and being a part and sharing sort of your journey with us. Thank you, Katie, for being a good steward and partner for uh, the GF team and ultimately sort of helping our team be a part of what will be hopefully a great successful story, not just one year in, but let's hope uh, many years to come. 
Before I close, I want to let everybody who is on uh, our call let you know that you could subscribe to our Siegel and Gale Says podcast. I believe that there will be a link that will be posted into the chat and know that today's conversation will be uh, one of our upcoming episodes. So, uh, Michelle, thank you for uh, giving us uh, rights to your intellect and all of this in perpetuity. You'll be uh, all over the Internet uh, with Siegel and Gale. So thank you for that. Thank you for the folks joining us today. I hope that there were some lovely takeaways um, hearing some of what uh, Michelle had learned. Thank you again to our panelists for sharing this story. And we look forward to joining and seeing all of you again on our next Unlocking Brands session. So thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Siegel and Gale Says. You can read more thought leadership pieces and explore our work at SiegelGale.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. While you're at it, please leave us a review. See you next time.